Hey, it's Larry. Uh, Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Real quick, before we get into this episode, I had such an amazing, eye-opening, life-changing experience at the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto that I want others to have that opportunity, too. So Becca Miller and I and 24 of our PD community friends have launched a year-long WPC Travel Grant Fundraiser. We're each doing a two-week Facebook fundraiser. Mine's underway right now because my birthday's January 9th. All the money raised will be used to help offset travel costs so more people with young-onset Parkinson's can attend the next WPC in Barcelona in 2022. You can search out details on the When Life Gives You Parkinson's Facebook page or donate directly to the WPC website. Go to wpc2022.org slash yopdfund. If you or your business would like to supply matching funds... Hey, good on you. Email me at parkinsonspot at curiouscast.ca. And now, on with the show. Hello, it's Larry Gifford with Nikki Reitmeyer. I want to say thanks to everybody who's listened and subscribed to When Life Gives You Parkinson's. We're going to release a full episode every other Wednesday, and in between a shorter, more conversational-focused episode like this called Extra Dosage. I like the idea of extra dosage. It's cool to be able to add a little bit more audio that we couldn't fit into the bigger, longer episodes that people can check out in these little mini versions of When Life Gives You Parkinson's. They're easier to swallow. Yeah, and it gives us a chance to it gives us a chance to play portions of interviews or provide additional context and answer some of the listener questions that come our way too. Yeah, I'm hoping people email us at uh, parkinsonspod at curiouscast.ca. Today, I want to introduce you to a guy who said to me, yeah, you got Parkinson's. His name is Dr. Jonathan Squires. He's a neurologist at UBC's Brain Health Center. I started by asking him, well, why is this such a hard disease to diagnose? So despite the fact that Parkinson's was first described a little over 200 years ago now, the diagnosis still remains clinical. So there's, you know, old men with gray hair and slightly younger women with slightly less gray hair uh, meet periodically and come up with these are the diagnostic criteria for Parkinson's disease based on based on the ev- evidence that they've accumulated over time. But the diagnosis still rests on the story that the patients tell and the findings that we find on on physical exam and then looking for other things that aren't typical of Parkinson's disease that might suggest an alternative diagnosis. And the only way to really definitively diagnose Parkinson's is to do an autopsy still, which has yet to be a popular option. Yeah, I'm going to hold off on that. Yeah, you're not alone on that. (laughs) (laughs) So so when I I presented to you, when I came in here, Mm -hmm. what did you notice about the way I presented that said, oh, that, that, that? Yeah, so it's... First thing that often I notice when people come in is walking from the from the waiting room that one foot is dragging a little bit behind the other one or you're not moving that one arm quite as much as the other one. Um, <clears throat> you'll notice the tremor sort of even talking through from peripheral vision. Mm-hmm. You can see that the, the hand is shaking a little bit yeah. right now. Um, the blinking rate is not quite as fast as one would expect. That, that, oh, that's cool. Yeah, so little subtle things that you learn to pick up over time and then... Um, the story that people tell as well. So you, you get the story, oh, there's this tremor and it's happening when I'm relaxed. And then there, there's a bunch of what are called premotor symptoms that, that we ask about, such as losing your sense of smell and becoming constipated, um, act, starting to act at your dreams when you're asleep, that are su- supportive of a diagnosis mm-hmm. of Parkinson's disease, but not definitive. And yeah. it's, it's really the, the, the bringing it all together, the whole... Pack, presentation, the whole package that we see that 
leads us to that diagnosis. Well, that diagnosis, like for like for me, uh, it's like I didn't know anything about it. So then yes. you go home and you begin to research, and then you then you start getting advice from everybody. Well, you got to do this. You got to do this. Yes. You got to do this. And you got to do this. And try boxing and try. This. It's overwhelming. Absolutely. And every time you go see, oh, no, I'm going to physio. Well, then you have to do this, and you should see this other person. And they want you to do this diet, and they want like how do you as a patient? What, what, how do we work through that? I think. There's a lot of, inf- I mean, with anything, there's a lot on, on the internet, yeah. for, for one thing, and there's a lot of misinformation out there, there's a lot of old information, um, so I think finding a reliable source, so the Parkinson Society of British Columbia, the Parkinson's Foundation, the Michael J. Fox Foundation, there's lots of very reputable organizations out there that have up-to-date information, so I think seeking out those organizations is very important. Obviously, speaking to your physician, um, in an ideal world, we would have more people and we would have much sooner follow-up, especially with newly diagnosed people, um, to, to help answer a lot of those questions. Um, and then it's, yeah, and then some of it is a bit of trial and error and seeing what makes you feel better. Well, some people are like, just try everything. I'm like, that's a lot. <laughs> so, and there are only so many hours in the day, yeah. right? Well, it, yeah. it, can, it can, like, they're like, well, don't let Parkinson's take over your life, but like, Parkinson's takes over your life. Yes. It, it, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it does, everything, everything is a little bit harder, and it's always there in whatever you do, um, and it, it is a challenging condition for that and reason. And then there's the things that happen, you're like, is that Parkinson's, or is that just me? <laughs> totally. And unfortunately, with a lot of those things, it could be Parkinson's, but, <laughs> right. but it might not be. And part of my job as a Parkinson's specialist is to say, well, that could be your Parkinson's, but let's make sure it's not something else, because unfortunately, you're allowed to have more than one problem. Right. So from, well. from your perspective, how important is, they talk about the gut health and the brain health, and like, have you found that connection yet? I mean, we're working on, or my colleague, Dr. Cresswell here in, the, in our group is working on finding that connection. Um, there are certainly intriguing um, teasers that something may start in the gut or in the, in the nose that, that sets off the process of Parkinson's disease. What we don't know yet is what to do about it. And, right. uh, but certainly, you know, taking your probiotic isn't going to hurt you. But is it, <laughs> but is it going to help? Well, that we don't know yet. What if you got diagnosed with Parkinson's today? What would you do? What would be the first thing you would do? I would start exercising more, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, and, I mean, beyond that, I would probably reevaluate my work-life balance a little bit and try to make sure that I'm taking those items off the bucket list. I mean, if... Uh, you know, you have, yeah. you have you have a lot of years, but the years have a have a tendency to get away from you. They tend to go by rather quickly. That's the advice I get from people that are ten years, fifteen years in. They're like, I wish I would have traveled more. Yes, yeah, and you still can travel ten to fifteen years in. It just doesn't get any easier over time. And right. so I think you want to if 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 you want to go hike to Machu Picchu sooner is better than later. <laughs> um, you know, you, you have to. I think you have to prioritize a little bit. And I think yeah. if, you're, if you're younger and you're still working, then you have to look at your job and say, okay, f- I'm doing okay now. Where am I going to be at in five years? Where am I going to be at in 10 years? Do I need to scale back a bit? Do I need to make a career change? Um, how can I support myself in my job and my life to, to succeed? When I come in for my six-month appointment, mm-hmm. my checkup, what questions should I be asking you? So I think any any questions that are on your mind, you should ask those those niggling things. Is hey, is this thing my Parkinson's disease? Is um, you know how am I doing? Um, 
I think anything that's really on your mind is is what you should be asking. I think part of my job is sort of pulling out the important things in terms of how you're doing and where we can work together to make things better. But I think if anything that you're concerned about, if you know me or your whoever your doctor is doesn't ask you about, I think those are the things to ask. What do you look for in those meetings? I look for how you're doing, how you're feeling. Um, I look for anything unusual that suggests that, hey, maybe this isn't actually Parkinson's disease, that maybe this is one of the mimics of Parkinson's disease, because we can be fooled for quite a long time with Parkinson's disease. Um, And so there's always a part of every visit that, you know, are there any red flags? Could this be something different, Um, including are things progressing more quickly than I would expect them to be? Um, And I'm always sort of inquiring after people's exercise uh, (laughs) habits because I think it, it helps. If you were to run into Parkinson on the street, if it was a person, what would you say to it? Several expletives probably would come to mind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, uh, why you've got to be like that. Um, I think we need to have a discussion about how we can make you go away, (laughs) basically. Um, So I, I think... Swearing would probably be the first thing that would come to my, <laughs> to my mind, but um, yeah, it's it's a it would be a very challenging conversation. I suspect it's very it's, Parkinson's is a is one of those you know party guests that won't leave type of thing at three o'clock in the morning that you know, is just sort of droning on and on, and you want to get rid of. So I think whatever conversation it would, be, would not be pleasant. You know, Larry, it really amazes me how many good people there are working in this field of research who don't actually have Parkinson's themselves, yet they have such a passion for this field. Oh, yeah. Uh, and Dr. Squires, I mean, he's a great clinician. He, he actually doesn't do research. He, he is 100% just seeing patients. And, and some, of the, some of the neurologists at UBC do half research, half patient. This guy is dedicated to just making people with Parkinson's feel better and have a better life. It also amazes me, too, how far the technology and the research and our understanding of Parkinson's has come. I mean, even the doctor there talking about working on the possible connection between Parkinson's and gut health or the importance of exercise. Yeah, it's re- it's really amazing how many different little things we have to think about as people with Parkinson's of, OK, I got to worry about my diet. I got to worry about my exercise. And oh, yeah, I better take my pill. And I got like, it's a lot of things to keep track of. And these were aren't necessarily things that we knew in years past. In fact, I had a really interesting conversation with Grace and Sandy, who are with Parkinson Canada, and they really made me realize that. I'm Sandy Jones, and I am an information and referral associate. And I'm Grace Ferrari, and I'm the Senior Manager of Education and Support at Parkinson Canada. So we're really grateful to have Parkinson Canada as a partner for this podcast. Yeah, and both these women have so much experience with Parkinson's disease. First of all, Nick, you had to understand about me. I'm really old, okay? And computers are not part of my language, just so you know. I can email and that's it. I'm just putting it out there because I will date myself. I predate levodopa. That's my claim to fame. You predate the med that is now being used, the number one medication that's now being used to treat Parkinson's patients. Yes, when I was a student nurse back in the early 1960s, 
Whenever a patient with Parkinson's was admitted to the hospital, we had nothing to offer. Nothing. Zip, nada, nothing. So that meant that even after having Parkinson's for two or three years, because in those days people didn't frequently go to the doctor unless they were like bleeding out or couldn't breathe, right? Right. So they literally were quite advanced before they would even seek medical intervention. So by the time they had had Parkinson's for usually two or three years and were admitted to the hospital, they were so stiff and frozen, we couldn't even seat them on a toilet. They didn't bend. They were automatically diapered. We had to carry them anywhere they wanted to go. So when I tell you that I have actually been privileged to witness the miracle that is levodopa, I'm not kidding. Sandy, what has it been like to actually experience a medical breakthrough? (laughs) Well, I can tell you both from a professional, which I've just shared with you, perspective. So when um, in the late 60s, early 70s, we now had this miracle to offer people called levodopa, Um, It truly was a miracle, and it it brings a smile to my face. Every time I hear one of our, I call them our, they're like my kids, you know, these neurologists. Um, They talk about uh, levodopa being a miracle drug. They don't even know. They haven't witnessed it firsthand like I did. I had an aunt who had Parkinson's, and when I was in my teens and I would go to visit her, because, of course, she was in a nursing home because she needed, you know, 24-7 care. and She couldn't do anything for herself. She was bedridden. And then Dr. Lang here at Toronto Western Hospital um, asked if she would like to, because she went by ambulance to her appointments there, and he offered her to be on the first clinical trial of levodopa. If I tell you she went from the aunt that I visited in a in bed or lying straight in one of those great big blue chairs beside her bed because she didn't bend to the aunt that with assistance because by this time her muscles had atrophied um, I could we could get her up and I could take little walks with her for the first time I could hear her she could speak I could understand her it was truly a miracle so when people today sometimes complain about their symptoms or about their medication, I just I just smack them upside the head and say, you have no idea what, how lucky you are, how blessed you are, that now there's so much research and focus on Parkinson's and how that miraculous medication is allowing us to even have this conversation or allowing you to be in the room. As I said, from a, both a professional and a personal perspective, I am extremely passionate about Parkinson's, which is probably because why I'm still here after my best by date has come and gone a few times. But I'll be 73 next month, and I just love what I do. Sandy, you spoke about some of the medical resources that are now available to people with Parkinson's, like levodopa. But Grace, 
When someone gets diagnosed, what kind of resources are available to them through Parkinson Canada? Well, we've got our uh, information and referral line. It's a 1-800 helpline, if you will, where people can access it across Canada and uh, they'll be able to get information, uh, tips, if you will, tools, um, the experience from um, Sandy's perspective on how to best identify Parkinson's. Um, They'll be able to get some information on how to uh, treat Parkinson's uh, so healthcare professionals can access our information and continuing professional development and also how to um, manage their Parkinson's symptoms. And Larry, if anybody wants to reach out and contact Parkinson Canada, they can do so online, parkinson.ca, or call them toll-free from anywhere in Canada, one 800 565 Oh, that's very cool. Thank you, Nikki. Coming up on the next episode of When Life Gives You Parkinson's. I am Larry's older brother. Older brother. Older sister. Are you able to laugh about my Parkinson's yet? It's not funny. <laughs> it's just not. What worries you the most? I, you know, I have this picture of you doing the Superman drive, running down the street trying to catch a bus. Um, <laughs> and, and I know that's not an everyday occurrence, but it's like... Holy cow, that's that's Larry's life right now. I don't remember exactly what I was doing, but I can remember <laughs> first is like, wow. I can remember how I heard, and, and I think mom called me before I got your text. Sitting on the couch in my living room, tears just started coming down my face like they just did. I was aware something was going on. I don't think we knew enough of the details. It was uh, an eye-opening experience. It was something that I didn't ever expect that that was what would happen to any of us. Thanks for listening. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. And while you're there, give our show a rating and feel free to comment. You can also engage with us on social media, ask questions, share stories, comment on an episode. It's easy. Just search at Parkinson's Pod on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Keep positive. Keep exercising. And keep listening. We'll talk to you next time.